Kyle Rittenhouse was a 17-year-old kid who made the decision to travel to another state, pick up a rifle, and insert himself into a volatile situation. A decision that resulted in the loss of two lives. Both the men he killed would probably still be alive if Rittenhouse had stayed home or if he had let the police do their job. Those are the facts. But these facts seem to be irrelevant to both those who condemn and those who celebrate Rittenhouse's not guilty verdict. Instead, both sides have inflated Rittenhouse into a blimp-sized symbol of racial tension in America like a giant cartoon character balloon floating over a used car lot. And a lot like those balloons, it's all gas with very little substance. Much of that lighter-than-air intellectual gas comes from the conservative media bullhorns gleefully chirping about how the verdict will result in more freedom of self-defense and how this proves that the justice system works. They know none of this is true, but the bright, waving Rittenhouse balloon gets your attention so they can launch into their simplistic soliloquies about freedom this and freedom that. But this is the wrong case to make into such a massive symbol. We should start by recognizing that a not guilty verdict was inevitable, not because of racism, but because of the law. Sure, the judge seemed a bit biased at times, and of the 20 jurors, only one was a person of color. But from what we were able to piece together through news reports, the prosecution did not present a compelling case. The state laws about self-defense did favor Rittenhouse's actions, And in the end, the verdict did not seem to be the result of racial bias that favors him because he was white. The fact that we might not like why Rittenhouse was in Kenosha, or that the police were clearly supporting him as he wandered the streets with a loaded rifle, or that he has become the poster child for white supremacists and right-wing pundits doesn't justify the conviction if the case presented in court doesn't merit it. Hey everybody, welcome to the Mark Explains Podcast. I am Mark, your host, and today we have a good friend of mine, Tom Pfeiffer. He is back on, and uh, he joins Ashlyn and myself for a really interesting conversation regarding the rhetoric that is going on in America today. Now, I opened up uh, this episode with a reading from a publication posted a few days ago. Uh, I believe it was from a blog. I will put that in the show notes. Uh, It's a great read. Um, But more importantly, what we're talking about today is not the content. Now, I wanted to read that because it was important for me to explain that even though this show seems um, probably a little uh, leaning towards the liberal side, I personally independently do not associate with... uh, the, the liberals or the conservatives, I find uh, good things and bad things on both sides. And I tend to try to take the information independently from whatever situation I am in. And if I can look at the data, I can probably more likely come to a moral decision on how I feel about independent subjects. But I push back hard when uh, any independent, or I'm sorry, when any uh, group comes to a decision and tells me how to feel about that one thing. And it is, it's very disturbing for me when I look at the media as a whole, or I look at a 
group as a whole and they were to tell you, this is what we believe, this is how we feel. And I don't, I push back against that because for me independently and, and, and for anyone else, um, I, this is not for anyone, this is for me. I challenge the source of the information that is given to me because I want to be able to create an ideal, an, an ideal for myself. And if somebody is telling me how to feel, I don't care so much about the feeling as much about the information that is given. And so this entire episode today revolves around cognitive autonomy. Do we have any any cognitive autonomy in our lives these days, or is everything that we believe simply told to us and we just drink it down without any pushback? So that is the that is what we're talking about today. And I'm calling it the Rittenhouse effect because it's so clearly obvious that if somebody in America today were to say something along the lines of, uh, you know, he was uh, clearly innocent and it was self-defense, he was pro- that person likely subscribes to the conservative group. And if somebody were to say something along the lines of, well, his, his whiteness saved him, then they likely subscribe to the liberal group. And I don't like that rhetoric. I don't like that everyone subscribes to the same thing because that means that information is being perpetuated into their ideology and into their rhetoric. And that's what I'm challenging. And so that's the conversation today. So before you, you know, get your emails ready and, and uh, all these, you know, all your guards go up, uh, try to drop your guard a little bit and listen to the content of this conversation because it is not about what Kyle Rittenhouse did. It is about why we feel the way we feel. And that is what today's episode is about. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much for listening in to this podcast. Huh. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. <laughs> Tom, this is how we start every episode. Usually. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. What's up, Tommy Fife? <laughs> it's good to be back, man. Welcome to the podcast. Glad to it's be good here. to meet you, Tom. I like you already. Oh, just, good. I, yeah. Well, thank you. I've, I've, I've had a chance to hear your voice a little bit on a couple episodes, but uh, yeah, en- enjoying getting the chat with you here. Yeah. Yeah, so th- this is uh, this is an interesting topic we're talking about today because I'm I've I, I mean I'm sure you guys are watching the news and I'm not gonna go back into the Lord of Snakes um, and uh, invoking the new adjudicator to lead us to glory and so forth, but I'm actually gonna talk about um, Kyle Rittenhouse and what's going on with the trial because this is something that is uh, really really been on my mind and my heart lately. Uh, and it's it's kind of driving me insane um, a little bit. Uh, and I, I've talked to both of you independently and we've kind of, it's funny because like my conversation with you, Tom, was a little bit different than my conversation with Ashlyn, which is also unique because I normally don't have conversations that uh, precede the recordings. I mean, uh, Ashlyn, a couple of times, but it's been about, it's been a minute um, no, Mark. Mark likes to not tell me what we're going to talk about at all. Oh, good. I'm so glad I you're not the only one that gets totally that experience. Totally blind and sound like an idiot for an hour and a half on a podcast. That's how we like to partner. Think you know, fire ready aim, right? It's a special rhythm that we have where Mark sounds really smart and I sound really dumb. And uh, 
<laughs> it translates is- really well. I mean, we have a pretty big listenership, and you know, I attribute it to that to <laughs> to to that system that we have. Yeah, it's Ash. You 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 add so much to this, and you know you do. And honestly, I, and honestly, um, the reason I wanted to talk to you guys in advance is because I wanted to make sure that we were all on the same page and kind of had a good grip going into this conversation because these things are kind of dense. And I want to make sure we're, we're, we know what we're going to say and we know kind of the route that we're going to take, even though honestly, none of us really know what each other are going to say. Um, but it's, it's this whole idea and it came down. So I, I made a, an Instagram post. I don't know if, uh, if you saw it, Ashlyn, I think Tommy, you definitely saw it. I did. Yeah. Um, and this, 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 uh, post was, I'm going to pull it up because I don't want to misspeak on what this was. It was, um, I think it was right after the trial, um, had, uh, of Kyle Rittenhouse had just ended. Here it is. Um, and so I actually tweeted this, um, and then I snapped the tweet and posted it on here because it, for some reason, if people read a tweet, they are more likely to read it versus just text on your Instagram. Um, so it says every single conservative, and then this is what they say. It says it was self-defense. Every single liberal, he crossed three straight line or three state or he crossed. I don't state know if you explained the with, post. Did you explain that you asked a question? No, I, I haven't asked a question yet. No, this is, oh, okay. the, this is the top of the post. No, no, you, um, you are acting as if this is what these people are saying in response. Right. right? So, yeah. so I'm yeah. acting as every okay. conservative is saying this. It was self-defense. Every, every liberal oh, is saying oh, this. Okay. Uh, he crossed state lines with an AR and shot three people. His whiteness saved him. And then it says, this rhetoric bothers me and also tells me whichever media you consume tells you how to feel about literally everything. And then I go on at the bottom and I say, do I know any Republicans that believe that his whiteness is why he is innocent? Do I know any Democrats who think who thinks that he was using self-defense? Please enlighten me. And I left the little box open where you can type it, your response in there. Now, I got 35 responses um, to this question. 34 of them were uh, I'm, I'm going to presume that they were of the conservative or Republican side asking me why I thought he wasn't innocent, which kind of goes, plays exactly into the rhetoric of my entire point. My point is not the information. My point is the information being fed. Um, and it's kind of, it kind of plays into, um, I don't care so much about the information that you believe, more so how you got there. Like, what was the path you took to arrive? Because we all have a certain set of belief systems. Tom, you have a certain set regarding faith, regarding uh, politics, regarding who you are as a person, regarding your family, your wife, like all of these things. You have a certain set of beliefs that you arrived at. And the path that you took there is so much more interesting to me than the belief that you hold itself because the belief is ever changing. And uh, some people, I mean, they hold beliefs that they never change. Uh, Well, I don't even want to say that. All belief systems evolve over time. But like for me, I, I have arrived at a certain set of belief systems. I mean, let's say, for example, about 
the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. And let's say, for example, if I were to hold this idea that uh, realistically his his whiteness has saved him, um, that he crossed state lines and had an AR at 17 years old and was picking a fight. He was looking for a fight. If that was my stance, it's pretty, I mean, it would be safe to presume what you think my political ideology is, even though that has nothing to do with politics. Kyle Rittenhouse shooting two pe- three people, killing two people in another state is not political. That has nothing to do with politics. Wearing a mask or getting a vaccine is nothing to do with politics. Where you can stand... You, can, can you... What do you, what do you mean by politics? Your political ideology. This so, so, so the decision to wear a mask or not to wear a mask has nothing to do with your political ideology? It shouldn't, but it does. And that's my point. Like where you stand on a viewpoint should not be influenced by a political ideology, but it is. And that bothers me because if somebody holds a strong, let's say, for example, a strong anti-vaccination standpoint, and they are very loud about it, I'm probably going to presume that they are conservative. Probably. I mean, that would probably be a safe bet. Now, I'm not saying that everyone that does that is. There are people that ride that center line. But for the majority, that bothers me. Why? So, Go ahead. So I think if you were to take any one of these issues, another way to put this, because we can, we can, I think it's even debatable whether or not where you come down on one issue identifies like wh- where you fall politically or where most people fall politically. But wh- another way to say it, I think, is if you were to take any single issue and if you had a person who was in a vacuum who, who didn't hear what Fox News or CNN had to say about it or what the people they agree with and follow on social media or the people they don't agree with or follow on social media had to say about it, we might have a whole different outcome of what any individual would come up with on any given issue. So for instance, like masking or, you know, COVID vaccination, if you were to just take that and someone who has not been on planet earth, you know, someone's been in a coma for the last three years. Correct. And they wake up and they're not, they don't look at social media. They don't listen to the news. They just, they just have a doctor sit down and tell them, here's what's going on. Will you wear a mask? There, there, there's likely to be, you know, it would be different, I think, right? Any single person in a vacuum, but because of the ideologies of all the people around them, all the people that influence us on social media or on the news or the people we, are around and hear things from every day, we, we seem to fall in these camps drastically, you know, based on any given issue, you can identify what camp a person seems to be in. Is that, is that another way to put that Mark? Is that fair? Yeah. I, I, I kind of want to ask a question of, of clarifying too, you know, so certainly the problem is that we find ourselves in these camps and these camps have certain voices that seem to speak the loudest and form, you know, the thoughts and, and the opinions of a lot of people. Um, but I'm wondering like, you know, so you're identifying this as the problem and just to bring clarity, like what, if it wouldn't be political ideology that would inform a decision on it or, or a, an opinion on a particular issue, what, 
what do you believe should be informing us? Well, I'm not necessarily saying that this is a problem. I'm saying, why aren't we challenging the source of information? Because we are, we are what we consume on every level. Food, yeah. resource, news, your friends. Like you want to know who you're going to be in five years? Look who you hang out with in the books you read or don't read. And the media you consume, this is who you're going to be in five years. And I look at this and I say, who do I want to be? And then I look at the food I'm eating. And then I look at the friends I'm hanging out with. And then I look at the news that is coming into my system and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why are we not challenging these sources of input? We blindly, I feel like from a child, from like when we were, I mean, from, from an infant, we are conditioned to, tr to, uh, to listen to people that we trust. We are conditioned to accept information from people that we trust, regardless of course of, we trust them, right? Regardless of the merit of the information. That's the problem. And you have these individuals that will listen to a media source because they trust the media source. Yeah. They trust it, regardless of the merit of the information. And so some of that is answering my question is to say the information, like right. the actual information and data is what we should be using to make certain decisions yeah, to very, what we believe about certain things. Exactly. But the yeah. problem is, is how many people in a vacuum, like Ashlyn said, how many people take the information at, at face value and look at, I mean, because like a great example is the, I mean, the Rittenhouse trial. I look at this and I, I, I kind of see a, a, a multitude of things going on here. Um, first of all, I mean, he was given a trial with 12 people who uh, all unanimously agreed that he is not guilty of murder. And I, I, I believe that that was a, an accurate depiction of the justice, justice system in America. Um, according, <laughs> according to the laws and what he was being charged with, he was not guilty of that. Specifically, due to those reasons, they all agreed on it, that is American justice at its best. Also, there are other factors that go into play. That prosecutor was a joke through and through. Like they just found some guy off a billboard that was the yeah. lead prosecutor. And it, I mean, did that play into it? Yes. How? I don't know. I'm not smart enough to know that entire system. Also, why was he crossing lines and picking fights? I don't get that. That doesn't make sense to me. So like I, I kind of sit in this, in this area where I'm trying to take the information that's coming in. And so I turn off. CNN and Fox News and CBS and everything. And I'm, I'm like kind of getting bombarded pretty much by memes at this point. And, and I'm like, so I turn on Haystack News and Vice News. And I'm trying to like find these sources that are just not so geared towards, you know, the political skew. And I'm like, man, there's just so much information. I don't even know how to make a decision. And right. then I'm like, oh, that's why we watch the media. Because there's too much information to try to depict my own opinion. Right. I have my own life to live. Please tell me how to feel. Right. I mean, part of what you're articulating is just the challenge of navigating the news nowadays, just to, just to know what is happening and to get the information. It's, it's incredibly difficult and frustrating to, to, 
try to be able to to sift through because you know right i mean we've all seen the things of like the different news outlets telling the same story but it, it sounds like they're entirely different worlds that they're that they're describing and and so that's just i think that's just the frustrating system that we're a part of and i don't know i i don't i don't have any answers for how we have to do that i i, I want to quickly mention i i laughed a couple minutes ago um not just there was it was something that you worded and you kind of clarified it as you went, but, but you said that it was, it was, uh, revealing or exercising of the American justice system. And I thought that is something I agree with. This was consistent with the American justice system. This did reveal some things about the American justice system. The American justice system worked exactly as as it was was set up to work. Correct. But we didn't ask the question, was it justice? Nope. That's not what I was asking. Yeah. Which, I mean, I might ask, why not? Because I don't know if I can answer that question. I mean, who can? Hmm. How, I mean. Carlson probably can. I think we should ask him. (laughs) Yeah. Where's Glenn Beck these days? (laughs) Is he still around? Is Bill O'Reilly still around? Yeah. I want some Bill O'Reilly. I I feel like. I need. I feel like Tucker is the new Glenn Beck. Either way, I think the questions that, like the next question that I, I feel like that we should ask is, how do we know the information being fed to me? I mean, like I'm being told how to feel. Like the information shouldn't make me feel. The information is just a thing. Like, right? The information that's coming, is it's just a thing. The right and the left side, they're getting the same information, but they feel differently about it. So like the question, are they getting the same information? Um, probably. Um, I, I don't think so. Well, I mean, you can take the same information and skew it. I mean, or you can skew it or you can give certain parts of the information to some people and different people give different parts of the information to other people. That's right. True. I mean, that's, that's, that's part of what forms the narratives is that I'm not, I'm not right now going to say both sides have the truth, but they just need to talk to each other. Cause I don't think it's always equal. I don't want to necessarily make it an equal thing, but I will say that there's often certain sides get certain parts of the picture and then other parts of the picture are literally withheld because it doesn't fit the narrative or the tribe or, you know, the group, whatever it is. But why? Why? Because they want our clicks, Mark. (laughs) Is is that what it is? I mean, like, why are we being sold? Like, why are we being sold the information in this capacity? It doesn't make sense to me. Like, why the bipartisan view of a mask? Why? That doesn't make sense to me. It sells and it gets votes. Yeah, it starts with the fact that um, our our whole system of journalism is a for-profit system. Right. I think that, you know, for the most part, every media organization, this is a multi-billion dollar industry. And that's where the problem really begins. It's similar to, and I think we've talked about this in the past, similar to the fact that in politics, it's, it's legal to have um, lobbyists. <laughs> lobbyists, which are just basically, it's legal bribery, right? It's legal corruption. Um, and the fact that the people who are in charge of giving us information are, it's a for-profit industry, meaning they're, they're incentivized to get clicks and get likes and get shares and get eyeballs on the screen, um, so that people can see ads so that people can, you know, generate revenue for them. Um, and that's where the problem begins because then they are not looking at, you know, 
the true mission of journalism, which is to provide information to help people in a democracy make a good decision, right. they're incentivized um, to just get as many eyeballs as they can. And we learned from Anchorman 2 um, <laughs> that uh, the way they do that is with car chases, is with big, big bombs exploding, is with you know stuff going on and, and people being mad at each other. Um, and so that's what we have. We have a nation that is built on that now because of the way journalism is set up in the first place. So the question naturally that I have to ask, and I think I asked both, I think I mentioned both this, uh, this question to both of you, do we have cognitive autonomy in our lives when it comes to literally anything? Because I think, I, I know Tom, like the three in you is like, of course we do. And the eight in me is like, no, we don't. But then the eight in me is like, yes, we do. And so like, I, I go back and forth. And the reason why is because I was told what to believe as a kid. I was told how to believe it, when to believe it. I was told that Santa was real. And then I was told he wasn't real. I was told the fairy, fairy uh, the tooth fairy was real. And then I was told he wasn't real. I was told all of these things how to believe it, when to believe it, where to believe it. I was told when to raise my hands in church. I was told when not to. I was told how to pray for the sick and the healing. And I was told how to maybe step back and not do those things in church. I was told how to raise my hand in school. I was told every single thing I know and believe I've been told. And a lot of that is probably bullshit. Um, so do we have example I told my kid today we put the leaf in the um, dining room table to make it bigger for Thanksgiving you know and he's like how did the table get bigger and the six year old's like what the hell how is the this is not our table it's magic did you get a new table and I and wait for it did you so say I vegetables? was like yeah dude it's magic it's we have Christmas magic oh, sometimes nice. and he's nice. like you serious daddy <laughs> yeah so he won, he went to bed 100% believing that I waved you know my my hands and made the table bigger for I Christmas. love every bit of that. Yeah. And now he believes so, in a little bit of magic. Yeah. So not not to be too annoying, but like what what can can we like pinpoint what you you talked about like okay, if you were given it all, it's probably bullshit and then you told that story. So what makes that bullshit? And what makes other real? Like the what makes the the the, the explanation of Christian magic. <laughs> no, it's a Christmas magic, not Cri- Christian, Christian magic. Sorry, I'm I'm yeah. tired. You Christmas. No, that's okay. Yes. So no, I mean that's that's <laughs> just an example of how like I can make something up and tell my kid, and because I'm the source, he's one hundred if I tell him with a straight face, I can't yeah. hear what's around me. So he could have snuck out of bed and he's listening to everything <laughs> I'm saying. Um, but if I tell him if I tell him with a straight face, you know, he just he just like, yeah, of course, this is a fact. Right. This and, is true. And he trusts this, you. So yeah, he's going he, to believe it, right. it resolutely. Which when he's like 25, he's going to listen to this. He's going to hate me. He's <laughs> going to be like, you lied to me about so much. I think um, at 25, he'll be all right. At 20, he'll be like, yeah. how could you have lied to me? I wonder yeah, yeah. if at 25, he'll be like, well, it's because he wanted me to believe in Christmas magic, you know? <laughs> right. See, so that that was so the thing a, that I was going to say is what does what does your son trust you with? Does your son trust you that you will give him factual information or does your son trust you that you are looking out for his good and that you are a giver of good things to him and he trusts you for his life? Or are those different? 
Well, does this lead? I, I don't know that they are different. I think that if you trust someone, that someone has your best interests, that you also are trusting that the information they give you is good and factual. Obviously, in this example, it's not. I'm, you know, bullshitting right. my six-year-old to to create some magic for him, and maybe I'll regret that. You're making me feel a little bit guilty about it, Tom. Um, <laughs> hold on, no, hold on, hold on. If anything, I'm trying to ask questions to not <laughs> no, no, make no, you no, feel no. guilty that I don't think <laughs> yeah. you're bullshitting him. Like well, the I natural, take back all the nice things I said about your hair. I do. <laughs> um, well, the natural response I have here to your question, Tom, then naturally goes to does Fox News give me this information because they love me and they have my best interest because I mean, if, if I am, if I'm a right wing conservative, I believe that stuff resolutely mm. just like Ashlyn's kid believes him resolutely. Right. And we don't, but we have no cognitive disassociation between those two. Like, I mean, obviously, uh, uh, there's so many human biases that come into these things. We have group bias. We have confirmation bias. We have authority bias. We have all these biases that play, and I get it. I understand it. But my question is, do any of us have autonomy in what we think? Do we? Like, I, honestly. I mean, if, if, it's, if, if, if you're asking that question from a really black and white standpoint of, like, you have full autonomy or you have zero autonomy, then, I mean, no, <laughs> of course not. Because, like, of there's, course we don't of have. Of course there's a spectrum. I mean, and I think that's that's the gray space that we have to navigate, right? And, and to your for, point, I'm not asking for full. I'm asking, do we have any? Well, so you're you're, but you're, <laughs> so you're, so you are still asking, uh, is there any or is there not? Because I, I still have two choices. Well, I will we'll see. No, it's not any or not. It's well, I guess I guess in a sense it is because like I'm 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 wondering myself, have I ever had an original thought that wasn't in a sense, premeditated or given to me. And like, this is the, I mean, maybe it's the eight in me, but this bothers me so bad that I, I, I don't know what's me and what's not me. And this is the, the like, this is the, the root of the issue that I have is no one's asking the question, what is me and what is not me? Because there's so much hate in this, like towards your neighbor right now over these stupid issues, but they're not, it's not them. Like th those opinions weren't them. They're, those opinions were given to them. So then that, that led me down the road. What opinions were given to me that I'm holding because the opinions were given to me from a trusted source. Even if that information was bad, what is not me? And that is something that I'm wrestling with right now. And then I'm like questioning everything in my life mm. and i'm like what source can i trust because even if i trust you tom and you got bad information how do how do i trust that right. and and like i'm i'm at a cross like where do we go like what do we do here mm. gosh it as you articulate this like I mean, I, I just hear a lot of like, not, not only angst, but even, even a little bit of like anxiety of like, ah, you know, and, and as I hear you articulate that to me, it sounds like the same anxiety that I would hear from someone going, you know, like grappling with like the existence of absolute truth. 
<laughs> you know, it, it's, it has the same intensity. It has the same sense of like, well, I also, but if there, but if there isn't that. any, then what do we do? You know, like it, 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 it's just, you're feeling lost, you know, without, well, this, is there, having, is there absolute truth? Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> I, you know, perhaps not that any one of us could know by ourselves, but that doesn't necessarily, is there uh, anything even absolute? Is there any absolutes? Right. Like I, this is this is where you're going to start talking science and, and physics for like 20 minutes. Well, I, well where it comes in. Well, prob- probably. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> let's, let's be, this wouldn't be the Mark Explains podcast without a little bit of science. Um, sure. But I mean, I wasn't even planning on going into science because, like, I I think about the things I know. Like, wh- what do I know to be real? What do I know to be true? Um, and like, so that question that like the do I have cognitive autonomy? Do I have a my own free will thought. I mean, because obviously the answer to the question is yes. Obviously I do. But I mean, how how did I get to that? Wait, what thought? do you mean? Hold on. What do you mean? What but, do you mean obviously the answer is but yes? But see, even that question itself was probably fed to me at some point. So then I then I asked the question, who fed me that question? Like, did was I given that opinion of that question? It's just it's this non it's it's a never ending cycle. So then I have to like, okay, what do I know to be true? Like I have to come down to like the basic fundamental foundation of what I know to be true. And I mean, this wouldn't be a truth. It would just be what it's true. And there's a differentiation there because I think truth is uh, for everyone and true is, is in individual. So something can be true for me and not for you, but truth is universal. So I, I sit on what, what do I know to be true? And then, so then I start thinking like, okay, well, what about, um, I, I, we're going to go really basic here. Like time. I know time passes at a certain rate, right? But science tells us it doesn't. Like the, one of the fundamental natures of the universe, time, it's the fourth dimension. It's only a half dimension because it's only moving forward. Uh, that we know, um, w- we know that it, it 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 moves slower at the top, or let's see, it, it moves slower for the observer from somebody at the top of a mountain. Or if you're in a in a spacecraft and you're moving really fast, like the time on Earth is passing slower than the time on the spacecraft. So time doesn't pass the same for everyone, depending on where you are on Earth and how fast you're traveling. So speed and gravity change time. So we're like, okay, so time, did we find it? Did we, did we discover it? We don't know. Did we invent it? We don't really know. There's no really good answer there. So, okay. So fundamental principle of the universe time, let's just put that one aside. Cause now that one's getting more complex. What about matter? What about like the fundamental, all of universe? And now we're finding out that the fundamental uh, principles of all that exist matter are acting more like waves than particles. So I, and I'm not going to go into this tonight because it's way too much, but basically um, light, the photons act like waves and particles. Depends if you, if you measure it like a wave, it acts like a wave. If you measure it like a particle, it acts like a particle. It's the wave-particle duality of uh, any, basically any, any particle that doesn't have mass. But now we're finding that transcends down into fundamental particles, electrons and protons and these things, matter is now starting to act like those things. And when we're not looking at a particle, 
it acts like a wave and actually it exists in a, in a, a cloud of probability. And then when you observe it, that wave function collapses into reality. So now the question like, is the moon there when no one's looking is a real question. Like, and science will probably tell you the answer is no. So I'm telling you all these things like, okay, when I ask myself, what do I know to be true? And what I know to be true, and like I have to go all the way down to the basic levels of fundamental reality that I'm sitting on the stool. I feel the wood underneath my butt. It is right there. But now science is saying, well, it's more complex. And actually, it might not be there if you're not looking at it. What? And time doesn't really, you know, act the same for everyone. What if I can't, if I don't know the reality of the basic fundamentals of all of the world, how am I supposed to have a, such a solid viewpoint on ridiculously complex issues that are going on all around me? How do we know what we know? I I mean... I know Certainly, I, we're asking like ahead. ridiculous questions right now. And I know that, but that's what this is for. I want to talk through this because these are the issues. Like these are the things that are keeping me up at the end of the night. Yeah. Like, how do I know what I know? Yeah. Well, I guess certainly what everything that you just walked through, the, the thing that I, it, it would invite for us is humility. Just the simple recognition that we can't know everything. And you know, to challenge the things that we that we are certain about, and to recognize that perhaps that certainty isn't as strong. And so, um, I was about to say, certainly, <laughs> certainly, in this environment where people are very, very confident on whether we're talking about written house or we're talking about other political issues or we're talking, you know, just whatever it is, people are certain about their stance on certain things. And I, you know, at a minimum, could we have humility? Um, the other word I would say is curiosity, you know, um, that's something that I think is really lost. That's not something that really sells, you know, when we talk about the media no, and all those things, never. but curi- curiosity is, is like the birthplace of learning. You know, you can't learn anything if you're not curious of like, huh, I don't know something. I, I want to discover something new. And not many of us, unfortunately, are looking to really discover new things as much as we are either rehearsing our talking points when we're reading articles or memes or whatever it is. Um, you know, so I, I think an invitation to to learn, I think, is really important when, you know, when people are crazy certain. Now, when what I hear you talking about is like the entire bottom is falling out and there's just there's nothing. There's literally nothing that we could stand on. Well, that's where, you know, I would bring in the, the quote from the statistician George Box, I believe, who said that all models are wrong, but some are useful. Um, <laughs> well, I think that's exactly right. I mean, like, I'm not saying the bottom is falling out. I'm saying it's not what we thought it was and we have no idea what it is. Yeah. I mean, so, so like the stool might not exist, but you can still feel the stool. Mm -hmm. You can feel grounded in the stool. You can, yeah. I mean, it exists um, here right now when I'm looking at it and sitting on it. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and again, like even with those existential questions, if you weren't looking at it, whatever, like the moments like, and that's, that's just, it comes back to just what it means to be human. You know? So I, I look up in the sky and I see the moon, the moon is there. And then that continues to, and you know, there's stars that are right, like light years away and are probably dead by now, but that light continues to come to us. And so that we're meaning making creatures and that meaning is real in, in a, in a, in an embodied way in our lives. And, and so you do that as individuals, but then you do that with big communities and groups and things like that. 
Um, part of where I think this points us to is again, that recognition of we, you know, we are going to have formative influences on us. You know, we are going to have authorities that are going to speak, you know, and try to speak over us and have us be under their authority or under their, you know, maybe not authority sounds like, you know, but like, for example, Ashlyn as, as, you know, the father of your child, you know, you, you are going to, you want to be a trusted source of, of, of information and love and care for your child. Um, and, uh, you know, we are going to have so an infinite number of those between, you know, parents and communities and all, all these different things. It really becomes a question of how do you sort through them? You know, can, you know, how do we choose or can we choose what influences that we might have and allow to speak and to shape and to form us? Um, I think sometimes that's not something that we examine very well is like, what is, is this a source that is shaping me and forming the way that I think and act and believe and treat others? Like, is this leading me in the direction that I really want to go? That's a good way to boil it down, Tom. And, and I think bring it back to a practical way of thinking about Mark's ridiculous existential crisis. <laughs> Honestly, you've been having since ever since our simulation episode, every single time I talk to you <laughs> what's real what's not real well define real, every single going. time <laughs> so, so thank you Tom for bringing Mark back <laughs> to this is what, what what we're really looking at is uh, all of these things all of these questions um, they do they humble us and they make they make me think like maybe maybe I hear and see and am influenced by bullshit um Hmm. by you know people who have uh, motives and agendas um i think about um this might be kind of off base but i want to tell the story so um i don't normally drive uh my wife's van um normally my wife drives my wife's van but this morning um I had to drive her van to work and I don't, I didn't have like a Bluetooth. Normally I listen to, you know, music or a podcast or whatever, but I didn't have that this morning. So I was flipping through radio stations on the way to work and it's, Oh, country music. I don't listen to country music very often. I'll hear what this is about. And, and immediately, um, one, the first thing I realized is we could be making millions of dollars writing country songs <laughs> because they are written not to sound insulting if you like it's like they're written for children like it's it is just the most simple basic, music yeah very very simple oh so it's like worship um, music yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> except for you can't make millions in worship the church it's does. too late we already have publicly talked a lot of shit about about <laughs> them so i don't think that they'd let us back in Probably maybe not. that's the whole thing that's their whole thing right <laughs> um anyway so i'm listening to country music and there's this song and i'm going to paraphrase but the lyric was just really terrible, um, but it, it stuck in my head all morning. It was about like winning $100 on a scratch-off ticket that my wife didn't want me to buy. Like, oh. you know, I was arguing with my wife about, you know, she didn't want me to get the scratch-off ticket. Um, but I won $100, and I could get two 12-packs yeah. and, uh, and fill up my truck. Yeah. Right? That was That's a very, you know, paraphrased version of that song. Yeah, um, I, know, I know what song you're talking about. But it dawned on me that, like, this... This is very manipulative. Like the lyric is, um, it's kind of this glorification of this lifestyle 
where one, you're arguing with your spouse and not on the same page about like what you spend your money on and your finances. And like, that's not healthy. Like that, like that was the first thing I thought of is like, that's just a weird thing. Like, why would you do if you're, if you and your wife aren't on the same page about buying lotto tickets and it's not, you know, if it's not like a fun thing, like, why are you doing that? That's kind of shitty. Like, and then you're kind of proud of it in the song or like, that's the lyric. It's what it's this feeling. It's meant to be relatable, right? That so many people, and it's a fun thing. It's not like, you know, your life's falling apart because you don't have good communication with your wife. Like that's, that's not what's happening in the song. It's that this is normal. And then it's, um, you know, a hundred dollars is enough for these two 12 packs and a, and a tank of gas in your truck or, you know, to top off your truck. And I thought it's also like, a sign that's that's that they like shitty of, beer, you know? Yeah. Like to like, so <laughs> it's, it's this like glorification and, and kind of holding up on a pedestal that you go home at night and you drink 24 beers. And like, that's a lot of beer. Like I don't, yeah. and like, again, I'm not demonizing alcohol in any way, but it's like, that's just a weird, like, okay, you know, and we're excited about it in this song and it's like a happy thing, but like, that doesn't feel happy to me. And then it's, you know, the tank of gas part is also like, you know, you're supposed to feel like this working man with your truck and you filled it up and you just had enough. This hundred bucks was just enough. And it's just like, like there's some economical issues in here too, that like, this is okay. And this is something we're excited about. So I'm thinking about all this while I'm driving to work and listening to this song and realize like, these songs, every one of them on country radio are written for this person, like the same person it feels like, the same group or the same club who think this way and believe this way. And again, I'm not saying that, that they're wrong. I'm not, you Republicans? know. Republicans? <laughs> no, not even, not even Republicans. I'm just, just playing, people, I'm just playing. Just people who, you know, that's what they're worried about. That's what they're thinking about is, you know, am I going to get, you know, am I going to get in an argument about a lotto ticket? Am I going to have enough, you know, beer to drink when I get home to feel whatever I need to feel? Am I going to have enough gas to fill up my truck to go to work tomorrow? But all of that's wrapped into this happy package, you know, (laughs) and it, and I can see how, like, if, if I were that person, I'd listen to this and it's a catchy song, right? Like it's, you know, they're written that way. It's like they're, you know, there's this melody and there's, you know, okay, I I feel happy listening. If I didn't, if you just took all the words away, I would be like, all right, you know, this is, you know, this is a good, good, well-written pop song, pop country song. And then it, you know, but when I really broke that down in my mind about what that says about who I am as a person, if I'm engaged in this, it just made me feel... I don't know. Like it's yeah. like it's I'm packaged this thing that I'm supposed to be think that's normal or that I'm supposed to be thinking about. And then really it's not like it's not healthy. None yeah. of those things in that song felt like a healthy way to process things well, and, relationally and the, or socially or economically, you know. And the thing that strikes me in that is is kind of I have this kind of this thought of I imagine you know, we think of Joe Schmo listening to this song being like, yeah, you know, like this, this defines my reality and like experiencing this as descriptive when in fact, like these are formative influences. These end up being prescriptive and these end up forming and shaping us to think in certain kind of ways. So like if we get a steady diet of this kind of song over and over again, a bunch of men feel like, damn right, I should be able to buy my lottery tickets and, you know, I should be able to get my beer and, you know, this is just the way it is. And like, 
it ends up prescribing for us the ways that we then end up viewing and shaping the world. Whereas you're kind of trying to take that, you know, go behind the curtain and be like, well, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, like this doesn't seem right. This seems unhealthy. And of course the question kind of in this race of like, what metric or rubric are you using to make that determination? And certainly that's a formative influence on your life that, so part of that is even a task of weighing formative influences just in a moment of listening to a song, right? Yeah, so we started this conversation thinking about how I think, you know, media, whether it's like news organizations or like groups on social media, sort of influence us. But then I think it's broader. You know, I think it's the things we consume all together, right? It's, it's, it's everything. Um, yeah. Well, it's I mean, every show and every, you know, yeah. Marvel movie and every. It's everything. And again, I'm not, I'm not trying to sound like consuming. Almost, I feel like I'm, like I'm uh, a youth pastor talking about how consuming <laughs> the worldly stuff is going to hurt your soul. That's not what I'm. It's not even what I mean. It's just. Well, I mean, you know, Ashley, I was, even to your even your point, the song "Drunk on a Plane" by Dirk Bentley. Like this is a song that. Um, I mean, I don't know if you guys. I don't know if you're familiar with it at all. This was huge back in 2014. I'm getting drunk on a plane. Yeah, uh, it, this basically. Yes, that, that one is that the one? Yeah, that one. I, I mean, the the message of this song is, I took two weeks vacation for the honeymoon. Uh, basically, his right before the wedding, uh, his fiance calls off the wedding, but he goes on the plane with his whole wedding party anyways without her, and it's a super uppity uppity song. It's like really catchy and fun, and um, he, he's like. Uh, the fella on the aisle thought I was crazy because I tipped your, I taped your picture to the seat back right beside me. Now I have empty bottles, uh, filling both our trays. I'm getting drunk on a plane. Like this is a sad song. Like his fiance just left him, and he's getting drunk on a plane. And he says, "Buying drinks for everybody." Uh, got this 737 rocking like a G6, and now you know this uh, stewardess is something sexy. Told her about m- my condition. Now I got a little mile high flight attention. Like. This is the story of a heartbreak, and he goes. Isn't on that a kind of country music, though? That's just like country's whole thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> but this like, plays into your entire. This plays into your entire point that it's wrapped in this really good package, like this. Yeah. This terrible song, like this should. This song should be slow. <laughs> and well, should it's be songwriters like going like think about country music. I don't know how many country artists write their own music there's a few a right few. there's a few even really great ones like taylor swift you know writes her own song sam hunt there, there's yeah. some of them um but even garth brooks no and i'm not like i'm no country music expert but like garth brooks probably the most prolific mm-hmm. country artist of all time i don't think he ever put pen to paper nope. like i i'm not sure i know I think that he helped a, tons a of those times. hits were written yep so there's it's, it's like there's these teams of people doing exactly what you know media organizations do which is how can we get the most listens how can we get the most airplay how can we get the most foots tapping what can we write about that's going to get people to relate and then again like to your point tom it then becomes prescriptive it's you know uh, i think about the one where the the guy wanted to go fishing and his wife didn't want him to what's that song where and then he's i think um, it it, it wasn't uh, like an ultimatum like yeah yeah 
It's like <laughs> I'm wildly unprepared to participate in this part oh, of the conversation. Man. I just want to point <laughs> yeah. that out. <laughs> you're hearing you're hearing the full extent of my knowledge of country. <laughs> this is so this it is, is far beyond mine. <laughs> See, like yeah. th- these things, these these points that you're bringing up, Ashlyn, and and these these points that you're hitting on, Tom. Like what this deduces me down to, and the single question that I have revolved around is what like who do i want to be like what type of person do i want to be because when i look at i mean everything you consume changes you affects you molds you manipulates you there's a good word um uh from the podcast the way i did on tommy on tommy's podcast um these things change you the everything that comes into your life changes you Every food you eat changes you. All everything you consume. Now, the, the, I mean, obviously, the the youth pastor in me was like, "We need to stop consuming everything." No, that's not the idea. Because not consuming things is also consuming things. Like, it, I need to be so intentional because I want the type of person I want to be when I see anyone, I, I want to be so ridiculously empathetic. I want to be so ridiculously uh, inclusive and accepting as a person. I mean, I, I'm, I feel like I look around and everyone's so quick. They're so quick to yeah. draw a conclusion um, based on an, an ideology. Like they're so quick to just make a snap judgment about something. And they're so quick for, and I'm like, can, can we slow down for a half of a second? Yeah. Can we just pause on the the prejudices that we hold? Because those prejudices were given to us. And and can we just say, hold on a second. Who are you? Who do you want to be right now? Who do you want to be in this world? Because everything you do and everything you say, it echoes not in eternity, but for your life and for what you stand for and what you represent and who you love, and who's around you. And I just want to like say for a moment, like, hold on to all the, to all of the input. I feel, I feel like I need to hit, because there's like 7,000 variables of input, and I'm like, this is too much. Yeah. You know, that part of what comes to mind as you say that, Mark, is, is remembering the difference between reacting and responding. And that's just a simple thing to do, just an interpersonal, you know, in the next, the next uh, little spat you're about to have with, uh, with a close friend or uh, a, a relationship partner, or whatever, like try not to react, but to respond. Um, but I, I tie it back to <clears throat> even the question about autonomy. And I think certainly when we are simply reacting to everything happening around us, we are surrendering our autonomy. Yeah. I think, I think the little bit of autonomy that we might be able to reclaim is to develop the ability to respond and to respond. I think you, you could bring in the brain science for us again. I know you've covered it in other episodes, but you know, reacting, I would almost associate with like that midbrain. It never engages the full prefrontal cortex. Responding would be a full brain. It'd be a big brain activity, (laughs) right? It it takes energy. It takes time. It, it, you have to metabolize, you have to digest information. Um, 
And certainly I think the faster that our culture moves, um, just we're doing everything faster. News is getting out faster. Tweets are going out faster. You know, everything's breaking, you know, when it comes to the news and just like everything else is in our lives is getting faster. Um, I, I think there's this pressure that, that a lot of us feel. I mean, there's even the pressure, those of us who are not just uh, consumers of social media, but then participate on it, you know, right? Like, oh, everyone's putting up a black square. Oh, I better do that. You know, like, and we're just reacting to things that are happening around us instead of like really engaging to seek to respond to the things that are happening. And so the results of a trial, you know, Mark, in, in our pre-conversation, you know, you kind of asked the question of like, why the hell should any of us have an opinion about, you know, what's happening in Wisconsin, you know, who don't live there, who aren't like part of that and, you know, it, it, you know, not in that atmosphere, weren't anywhere near what was going on. I mean, like there. how many trials were going on at the same time that we have no opinion about. Right. But we have an right. opinion on his. Yeah. And, and Why? it's because it's because it's, it's because it's being talked about. It's because it it um, it it is representative of a lot of bigger things that do Absolutely. matter to a lot of people. Absolutely. Um, but I, you know, it's. It, I think Real a lot quick, of it does. Go ahead. I don't want to reduce uh, those uh, injustices that are being portrayed through the trial, through Kyle Rittenhouse, and anyone that feels a certain way. I'm not here as a white man saying right. things i'm i'm saying that there were thousands of trials on injustice at the same time going on in the same fashion that we have no opinions about because we don't even know about but we know about kyle because right. we've been told and that's that's the issue i have right so and, and there's a lot of things that play there too we were told what to feel about that also go back to that comment about this is the justice system working as it was designed it which we can talk about what that system was created to protect and all those kinds of things but but even more simply and not as a moral of a statement um part of what the justice system has to do or at least the way it's set up right now is it goes back to i was asking mark like are you really only giving me two options <laughs> And the justice system, they, the, the jury had two options. Either he's guilty and we send a 17-year-old boy to sit in a cage for his whole life and we get to, you know, do we grapple with the morality of that decision? Or we declare that he's not guilty and there, are, there seems to be zero accountability for what has happened. There's, there's zero sense of like two people were killed and there's there's no sense of there's no way of saying that that was wrong we have lost the ability as a justice system to be able to speak with any kind of coherence or integrity to say how, how what happened option? was wrong how are those even options that, that's terrible i i have i would not want to be in the position to try to choose one or the other right because and, and you're dealing with so much morality there Right. And, and, that, and maybe that's the point is what would it look like for us to lean into just just to even sit with those two horrible choices long enough? And, and I don't this isn't me trying to give input to how that justice system thing should happen. I'm not smart enough for that. But I can at least point out the fact that, like, I, I think there's a lot to be found in the gray. And anytime you're only given two choices, it, a radar should go off to say, huh, you know, you know, not only the fact that you're likely to be between two opposites that don't seem to reflect a whole lot of the truth or the whole messy picture, but also going back to those sources and those formative influences, those things thrive on really simple narratives on 
for and against, you know, in the tribe, out of the tribe, uh, all that kind of thing. And so if you, if you want to have your radar up for when I might really be influenced by something happening around me, notice if they're taking a very clear, are you for it or are you against it kind of a, uh, you know, mm. position that they're taking, right? Mm. I, I think justice, you know, um, you're going to get a former pastor preaching here and I'll try not to, to be too bad. You guys did talk about being youth pastors. So I feel like that gives me some room. We've both been youth pastors. Yeah. You guys, you guys were complaining about secular music. You were, man, you guys are really reaching back for those youth pastor days there. Um, <laughs> but I, I think, um, complaining you know, about worship music too, to be fair. Yeah, it's, that's true. That's true. It's real bad. Um, I, I think justice you know, has to, has to look more gray. And I think, um, I mean, coming from, you know, full disclosure, I, uh, I am a Christian and I, and I still am deeply influenced by that theological tradition, even with all my challenges and, and everything else going on. But, um, I, I think you see a, a picture of justice that comes through scripture that doesn't take, it doesn't, it, it does not get black and white. Um, it, it, it is seeking to reconcile. It is seeking to point out wrongs as they show up in all the different places and seeking to make all things new and all things right. And um, yet, yet here we are in America, almost completely black and white divided. Like every six weeks, it's something new. Yeah. And it's right or left, black or white. That drives me mad. Why? And it's, it's, I mean, it, it might play into the fact of you, Ashlyn, like what you said in the beginning, it gets clicks. We are the commodity being sold to the news. And to the maybe, advertisers. And, and, <laughs> I mean, like I am the product, me. I am the product being sold. And if I can click on a side and get mad, I'm going to engage more. But like I'm engaging now because I've been silent for so long because I, I don't fit either of those tribes. Like I'm, I'm the outlier. And so how do you want to engage, Mark? How, engage what? Well, so you just said like I'm engaging, and so it's just kind of maybe because curious. I'm upset that everyone is engaging the wrong way. Everyone is just conforming, like they've they've found their party. This is this is my tribe. Tell me what to believe. Tell me how to respond, because you are the people that I go with. And that is group bias. Oh, you, leader, sir, Mr. Carlson, like, tell me what to believe. That's authority bias. And then you have, like, the bandwagon effect. Everyone believes it, so it, it must be acceptable. Like, you have all these biases playing, and I'm sitting back going, what? this is not the way it's supposed to be. It isn't supposed to be black and white, and it is black and white. And I'm like, my God, well... Where did we go so wrong? Where did the autonomy go? Where did the original thought go? Where did the original love go? Where did the humanistic side of, of this human experience disappear to? And is it entirely just behind the social experiment that we know to be our social networks? I mean, has that completely blinded us from the autonomy of, of love, or is it just, is it just, this is the newer version of it and it existed before here, but just in different ways. And I know I'm asking probably unanswerable questions here, but I'm trying yeah. 
to sift through this dichotomy of left and right. And it's, and Tom, you hit it so well. We are, we live in gray. We are human flesh colored. We, this is not black and white. This is flesh and skin tone. And that lives entirely in the gray. There is no black. There is no white. And actually in science, it's, there is no a hundred percent and there is no zero percent in right. anything. Things get infinitely close, but everything is a spectrum. And that's, and that's the beauty of this. Like we are, a planet with 8 billion integer wide spectrum of everything. Yeah. So I guess what that raises for me is a couple thoughts, you know, and, and certainly not necessarily able to address your really big and good, important questions. But I mean, number one, you know, anytime there's only two choices, like, you know, that should be red flag. I don't like my choices, <laughs> you know, like look for the thing that is not being said yet. Look for the the third option, the fourth option, the 29th, you know, piece of information that's not being part of this. And, and that becomes an influence. The other thing is when you're navigating a spectrum, you know, any anything that's on a spectrum, you, you're no longer dealing with good or bad. You're dealing with better or worse. Um, and, and I, and I wonder you're, you're still making moral judgments within that. And, and I, I think we should be cautioned to do so slower and in a responding fashion, as opposed to a reacting fashion of like, oh, this is better and this is worse. So to respond, but at the same time to still be able to say things like, I think this perspective is better. Like I, I do. And and I think that's okay, but, but it, it does so from a, at least from the humility standpoint of saying this is better but I could be presented something better, <laughs> you know? And if I was presented with something even better than what is my better right now, well, I, think, I might even be willing to, to I, change. I think the only, the only adequate way of saying better is not better than you, but rather uh, better than my previous thought. Because mm. I don't know what your perspective is. So I can't presume that mine is better than yours because I don't know what yours is. Even yeah. if you do a really great job explaining your perspective to me, there is still asymptotic fidelity there that you will never fully explain. And so I never can truly feel or see how you experience the world. And so if you give me your perspective, I can't say mine is better because you also don't know mine. And so there is, there, the, you, the fidelity never exists there. It, it, can get, it can get infinitely close, but it doesn't exist. So the only thing that is better, my, the only perspective that I have is better is than my previous perspective. Yes. So to that, to that end, you know, um, this takes me back to, uh, Christmas magic and why, when I was asking those questions of you, Ashlyn, I promise I was not trying to make you feel guilty as a dad. Who is to say what is the better explanation, the better way of looking at the world? And then to talk about that there's a leaf that we pulled it out of the closet and we had to dust it because it was sitting in there forever, yada, yada, yada. Or, you know, your son going to bed believing in Christmas magic. You know, like there, there's something about having that kind of openness to the world that is actually beautiful. Yeah. And, and, and something that, that we as adults like just kind of laugh at or scoff at, but like there's a beauty to it. And um, so even even where we might, you know, what metric might we use for like accuracy of information, you know, Christmas magic is bullshit, but there's other ways in which like Christmas magic becomes like a better way to see the world. Like QAnon. Oh, see, that's where it gets dangerous. You, <laughs> yes. <sighs> so is your perspective better than QAnon, Tom? 
I'm sorry, Tom. My job, my whole job on the podcast is to say ridiculous things <laughs> at, at moments like that. So yeah, I, that's fair. I apologize. No, I mean, but, but it but it makes the point. I mean, um, see, I, I mean, Mar- I I think I I think it's it's the right question aimed at the wrong place. I think saying mm, yeah, um, like is your perspective better? That is a good question. But the only question we should be asking ourselves is questions about ourselves, like. I cannot change you. I should not change you. I need to focus on myself. And if I focus on loving myself tremendously and relentlessly, then I can love you better. And that love hopefully will change you into a better person. And if you get a better perspective on the world, then guess what? Mine is better and now yours is better. To say mine is better than yours is reducing you. I don't want to reduce you. I want to elevate you. And if hopefully through that elevation, you can come to a better perspective, but that's not because mine was better. It's because I loved you more. And that's the whole concept and idea that I'm trying to pull to the surface here. Yeah. I, I think it sounds I, like, go ahead. Oh, go, go ahead, Tom. I've been going for a while. You got it. Oh no. I was just going to say, it sounds like the, the common thread um, that I piece together from you two very smart people is that the, the solution seems to be, trying to be better at listening, right? So we, we can kind of dissect the problem and does it come from the media and does it come from all these different biases that we have and does it come from our tribal nature as, as humans? But I think the solution, the, the most common thing that I, I keep feeling from this conversation is that the solution to this seems to be um, to, to try to be a better listener and to try to approach situations with more stoicism with more you know that sense of responding and you know thinking and not necessarily being in control of every every circumstance and everything i don't like but rather you know listening and 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 then responding in a a more healthy and a more empathetic way um does that kind of i mean again you guys are you guys are using a lot of words. Yeah, Ashley, I, I love I love your response, man. Like, but that I, to me, that's what it comes down to is that like I can't control. You know, I want to participate in the conversation of the world, right? I want to. Mm, you know, this is where yeah. my. Um, you know, I want to. I want to see and experience what is happening because it, this is where this is a historical moment we live in, and every moment after is going to be a historical moment that we live in. I think. Um, I want to participate in that and I want to be a part of that and I want to add to that conversation. But by doing that, I'm risking, you know, being online and, and being influenced and being, you know, having right. like, I, I suffer from pretty major anxiety. Uh, and <laughs> you know, sometimes too much time on the internet can, can influence that. Right. Um, but to answer these questions, to try to, boil all this down to how can I process all this? How can I read the news, watch, watch the news, listen to podcasts, be a part of the, the conversation on planet earth and what's happening and how we as humanity are growing. How can I do that in a more healthy way in a, in a way that I'm not, or I'm influenced less, um, by people who want my clicks and who want my eyeballs. It seems like the way to do that is to slow down and listen and to process with empathy and to, to try to approach 
all of this with a sense of stoicism, with a sense of I can't control it. I can't make other people see things the way I want them to see them. And sometimes the way I see things are wrong. Um, you know, I used to have very different, very different opinions politically and socially than I do today. Um, so by approaching all of those things with that sense of empathy and stoicism, I think that that, that seems to be a core component of the solution of, of how I can do that in a more healthy way, mm-hmm. uh, in a way that, um, in a way that is more helpful, hopefully to me adding to that conversation of humanity and of, of planet earth. That's a good word. You know, you talk about, you want to be involved in the conversation of the planet, of all of humanity. And if I'm right and you're wrong, that's not a conversation. Mm -hmm. And that's the rhetoric that is so readily given, so readily given to us that I have the right opinion. I have the right perspective and I'm constantly going through, (laughs) I start my conversations with, I'm probably wrong here. And knowing how to approach people with empathy and knowing how to listen, that is how you share conversation with the planet. That's how you share conversation with humanity. Yeah. I'd say yes. And there, yes. Yes. Learning how to listen, learning how to have empathy and to connect in that way. And we can still have our opinions in which we think the other person is wrong. Um, you know, this is where the, uh, the more freshly uh, former pastor comes in and, and says, oh, this is because we're a bunch of Gentiles. Uh, <laughs> Jewish people know how to do this much better than the rest of us Gentiles. Like it's kind of the joke that like when you have two Jews in the room talking about like some sort of thing in their tradition or scripture or whatever, there are three opinions. Um, it's it's kind of a, it's a biblical scholar joke uh, that did not land. I believe it's that's fine. called the dialectic, but keep going. But either way, the idea that like, um, you know, the whole, this is getting into Bible nerd stuff, but like the the whole Jewish biblical tradition um, was this rabbinic tradition. It was this kind of commentary, continued commentary, and the commentators would respond to one another and they would hold a text as, you know, this is something that's valuable to us, but they would speak, you know, this is where I think it meant, no, actually there's a corrective I'm doing it this way. And they hold all of that together and they still hold together as we are connected to each other. We, we still see the validity and the, dare I say, the image of God and the other people. And we're able to hold together in that while being able to disagree. And that's, I think, a space that's very, very difficult for black and white, very dualistic. Um, I only have two options people to live in. Uh, we don't know how to disagree and actually stay connected with each other. That's another variable in this. If we could learn how to actually sustain relationships with people who we think are dead wrong on things, uh, that would entirely change things. But, um, you know, then, then we're getting into all kinds of things of uh, there's lots of forces that want to continue to push us toward people who think like us us, people who vote like us, people who, all that kind of stuff. And, well, and we end up you just hit it. like, you, you just hit it, Tom, like 100%, because the thing you said was we need to be able to learn to get along with, uh, while we don't agree. And my thought went to, yeah, the goal here is not to get us all to believe exactly the same thing and to be like, oh, my goal is you need to believe exactly what I believe. And yeah. I was like, oh, wait, that's the Kyle Rittenhouse rhetoric because everyone 
believes all one thing or all the other thing. There's that's all they do. And now they can't get along. Yeah. Because so me, their goal is you must believe what I believe instead of mm-hmm. saying you, sh- you, you hold a different perspective and I love you period. Right. It's not that it's, you have to believe what I believe and it's almost conditioned that way. I, I, I do think, you know, there can be a, a, another finding grace space kind of thing, right? Is um, cause sometimes it's either the, we're going to fight because you're wrong or it's the, you hold that and I love you. And I think there are times where we can get just a little bit too kumbaya about this. Um, this is where like three white dudes talking about, <laughs> yeah, you hold a different opinion about a potentially racially motivated verdict and that's okay. Like we don't have the consequences that yeah, a lot of other people have. Let's say that very clearly. This is three white guys talking about a very complex issue with race it's so it's like the stakes are raised too because now like 20 years ago i felt like you could sit around a table and you could have different opinions and and you still can in many cases i have neighbors to the left and the right of me who have you know they still have the trump flag up even though it was a long time ago (laughs) but like you can have different opinions around people and neighbors and loved ones that were different and today it feels like I don't know, because if you if if you hold one set of values, then you want all the liberals to eat the children. And if you have another set of values, then you're a complete racist. Like it's like everyone is pushed, you know, like it's not just like, oh, you you think that way and I don't agree with you and it's OK. Like the people on the extreme sides of each camp, the rhetoric is now like, no, 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 no. The other side is evil. Yeah. Well, and so that's not, the they're shift not just there. bad. The other people, the people who vote differently, they are they are fucking yeah, evil. Yeah, they're bad. Right. They're evil. They, they well, want to eat children, or they're racist, and they want they want you know Nazism. Yeah. It's you know that's it. That's the conversation now, and so that's why it feels like the stakes are so much higher. Yeah. Um, and it's not you know it's so hard to have those nuanced conversations. You can't have a nuanced conversation. I mean, quite frankly, it's just name calling, right? You know, when it gets to the point of we can make moral statements on someone, you are a racist. You know, you are a monster. When we start looking at people as monsters, you you can't actually have dialogue. There's too much. You're put into the fight mode. Uh, You're clearly not being heard or listened. Um, Now, the thing that I want to make space for is I don't want to call someone a monster, but I do want to be able to say, like, your ideas are dangerous, like and and there are a lot of ideas out there that that people hold that are dangerous ideas. They have big consequences and that needs to be named and talked about. That's that is a gray space. That's a hard space to hold. But it's you very, know what it, it's very hard because those individuals that hold those ideas that are dangerous don't see them as dangerous. And when you're in it, it's hard. I mean, I've told both of you this story before when my parents were in Shiloh Fellowship and they were in the commune and the pastor told them to get pregnant, uh, all the women to get pregnant at a certain time. Like that idea can be dangerous, but when you're in it, it's, right. it's just a thing. It's just a part of like, of course, uh, when enough people all believe the same thing, it's it's not it's not dangerous anymore. It's it, of course it's normal because we all believe it. Of course it's acceptable. Everyone thinks it. 
So to approach someone, it that that is, I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm saying understand the complexities that surround the complications of approaching someone and talking to them that their ideas could be dangerous because to them, they're not. To them, you are. Well, yeah, so there you go. So you're dangerous because you're the one who's potentially trying to sway them, Correct. you know, to pull them from their group, all that kind of thing. Correct. But a, but a lot of this comes back to the just the, the issue of what do we do when we are presented new information? You know, what do we do when we're presented something that doesn't fit our box? Oh, and I love new information. New information is spectacular because it's more information. And then I can make a better decision. But that's yes. not what a lot of people do. New information, does it fit my set of ideals or does it not? Do I accept it or don't? I? It's, it's, it's like so, it's binary. So so shortly before uh, jumping on to our, our video call here, uh, I was scrolling through the old Instagram and suggested posts came up and there was something that came from uh, Adam Grant. He's somebody who's smart and tweets out smart things and then puts it on Instagram or whatever. But he basically said something along the lines of like the sign of a sign of intellect is the ability to change your mind in the face of new facts. Yeah. The mark of wisdom is refusing to let the fear of admitting you were wrong to stop you from getting it right. Yeah. Uh, the joy of learning something new eventually exceeds the pain of unlearning something old. Yes. Yes. That's yes. I like that resonates on every level with me. It, right. I mean, because if I, if I have better information, then I can make a better decision. Like this is yeah. it's perfect. But I also know. Not a lot of people hold that, right? That and, central. But point. some of it, some of it is because they've been given models where baked into the model is the distrust of information that would come from the outside that would challenge that model. Yeah. You know, so like, I mean, so that that's why it's a sign of intellect. Then we talk about anti-intellectual models. You know, I, I I feel like a sign of my depression over the last week was when I started asking myself, is um. Is anti-science or anti-historical perspectives? Which one is worse? Which one is which one is causing more damage? I don't know. They seem to be very close. Oh, I don't know, man. <laughs> you know? I'm, I'm kind of anti-historical. Oh man, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, depending on what history, I mean, all of history is just written down by someone. And copied by somebody else, which is copied and translated and translated and copied and ended up in our hands in a different language, likely. And that's history. Just some guy telling it the way it is. I can't trust that because well, I, I mean, it's, that it's written. Some of that comes back to just, his reality. Huh. Some of that comes back to our conversation of like. How do we how do we know what sources to trust? Yeah. I mean, even historical sources yeah, screw is history, a question around this. Um, and uh, the biggest issues I, I have with the Bible. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. That's a that's a whole other conversation that we could have for sure. <laughs> not um, not for today. Not no. For today. But but I will say like um, when you know some of it's just like the cheesy line of like if you don't know your history you're doomed to repeat it. But I think there there is a like an active, at least a, there's an active ignorance of like where we have come from. 
And some of that is like baked into the whole American identity as well. Uh, one of the professors at my seminary would say like the story of the American people is that we have no story. And so we can make up our own story about where we come from and who we are. Um, and, and, you know, so many other traditions around, you know, cultures around the world are able to share their story of like, this is what happened. This is where we came from. And, and, and this is what then leads us forward. And I think right now there is such a, the, the way that the stories are being told, this is where I agree with you hundred percent, Mark, that like the way that the histories are being done right now is one, it's not what happened. And, and two, it is an entire revisioning of what happened in a way that denies, it actually denies like the act of humanity of a lot of people. Um, and then doesn't allow us to understand issues that we're facing. So, right. When we don't have in the rear view mirror, the way that racism has affected our country, um, we can't understand, uh, you know, we can't understand the way that people are reacting to the Rittenhouse uh, verdict. Right. You know, when, when we don't have the understanding of, of how the justice system has been used specifically to reinstate slavery after slavery was abolished at the end of the 19th century, we if we don't have that in the rearview mirror, we don't understand why so many people are going up. Oh, there's another white guy who got, you know, uh, released and there is an accountability there when all this is done here. So like. And that's not to say uh, right now I'm not I'm not trying to channel, you know, to your point, Mark, of like channel all the liberal points right now. Um, But it is to say that, like, without having the history there, we can't understand why people are saying what they're saying. We can't understand how people would have gotten to that place to say something like that. And without that understanding, there can be no empathy. There can be no bridge building. There's no, ah, I see how you got there. And that is a really important line when you're talking about people who disagree, asking enough questions of like, I'm not sure how you got there. Could you help me explain how you got there? And then getting to a, oh, I see how you got well, there. Most people got there because they turned their TVs on or they, I mean, that, that's how most people got there. I mean, let's be real. Like I, I would need to ask the question, like a great question that we all can put in our pocket for somebody that is resolute about an idea is what would change your mind about this said thing. Like if you were to come to somebody that was super resolute about, um, he was using self-defense to ask that person the question, what would change your mind about that verdict? Mm. Because that it puts a different ball in their court. And if they say nothing, then then the conversation is over. They're not interested in intellectual dialect they are interested in holding their opinion and nothing mm-hmm. else, the opinion that's been given to them. And so that's like, that's really like a, somebody that holds a resolute opinion like that. I have love for them and I'm not interested in, in conversation. Yeah. And, don't, and that's, don't go there. And, and that's, that's really where I stand, but it makes me question all of American existence and just like, how are, how is this not hopeless? Please. We should examine all of American existence. Oh my gosh. Ashlyn, how, how is this not hopeless, bro? How? <laughs> how? Like I said, man, we're living in a, you know, historical time. <laughs> and I think we're, what, what do we probably have another 50 years as a, as a country? If that's, you know, maybe, hopefully. <laughs> Before the great filter? Something's, something's, I mean... Well, I don't know. Let, let me let me see what Q said. Uh, <laughs> oh, gosh, he's. There's one source of information we can all trust. 
Cute. It's a bunch of people on the internet. Yeah. I don't know. I I know that this conversation is like 20 different existential questions all basically lining up one after another. I mean, but I I hope that the the under like there there is an undertone of of self-searching, of self-awareness, of of listening, of paying attention to what you consume. I hope I hope this comes through because I mean, yes, I'm asking massive questions. I don't even know what's real because I don't even know the reality, the fundamental universe is not even that real. So how do I even how do I hold any truth to be true if the truest things aren't even that true? Like how how do I even do that? There's a cat walking on Tom's lap. That's hysterical. <laughs> but like I I hope that I hope this this comes through because I'm I'm desperately asking these questions because I want to be a better human. I want to I want to hold a better position from what I held it before, not better than those that are around me, better than my previous position. That's what I want to do. I want to be a better human, not better than others, so here, better than myself. Yeah. Here's where I see hope. Um Mark, do you think that like your parents when they were your age, were they asking that question these questions and when they were they so that i think about that all the no, time definitely there's not. this com there's this compounding thing that is happening that hopefully is creating more um aware people all over the world not just me and not just people that i interact with like you um we're asking questions and we're thinking about things in a way that our parents probably did not and their parents even less so and their parents even less so. Um, and that, that I think is hopeful, right? That we're, we're in a position where we're asking questions about who we are as people that are so much more fundamental um, and, and so much deeper and so much more authentic in how we interact with the world around us. Those questions matter. Um, and even the fact that we're looking and even the fact that we're, trying to be aware of ourselves um, as, as just individuals, as parents, as friends, as humans who are, uh, again, contributing to that conversation of the earth. Um, that is hopeful. That yeah. there's, this, there's a movement, I think, in just humanity of asking important questions of ourselves uh, and, and trying to reflect on that and trying to learn from that. We're not going to come up with the answers. But the fact that we're asking those questions and we're looking matters and yeah. I think leads us to a much, much better place than generation upon generation before us. And, and that's hopeful and that's good, even if we don't have a country anymore <laughs> at some point, right? Because the, the system that all of this is built on is flawed and kind of ridiculous and yeah. worth kneeling for. Um, it's, it's important and good. Let me just let me just end this thought with that. It is good that we're asking questions and, yeah. and trying to be better people. I, yeah, and I think going off of what you both just said, it's good that we're asking these questions. I, I think to seek to strive to how can I be a better human in this is really good and important. Um, I, I think the next 
question that I'm asking is how can we be a better people? How can we be a better culture? And that's a, that's a bigger question. That's a messier question. Cause then you have other people involved. Um, but I think to, that's the thing that I'm wondering about is, is what would it look like if we were able to expand our consciousness just a little bit bigger to start saying, how could we create a better world? You know, if the nation is all messed up and the foundations aren't, what would it look like for a world where there really was justice? What, you know, what could, could we seek to aim for something higher and what might that process look like for us to do that together? Um, definitely not something that we'd answer, certainly not right at the end of a podcast, but that's where my questions go. And, and I, and I'm right. So other people need to ask the questions I'm asking. That's no, (laughs) no, I think that's it. I think we just need, we need to be more like Tom. <laughs> oh no! We worship Tom. Oh, good. Hallelujah. What oh, in the name Hallelujah. of Tom is going on right now? <laughs> oh boy. I got I got a cross uh, tattooed on my on my arm, but people don't really know it's just a T for Tom. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And Tom, we trust. All right. We are going to wrap it up. Uh, this dude. is the sign that you failed as a, as a former pastor is when people start trying to worship you. That's when you know you've really failed. I've really come out of the, uh, come out of the profession. I'm not, now. I'm not trying, Tom. I am worshiping you. Oh, boy. Actively. <laughs> actively. Right now. And there's nothing you could do about it. Nothing. That's that. You can't stop the... Lover of, of my worship soul. have opened. I do love your soul, Mark. My love is pouring <laughs> like rain <laughs> over you. Uh, you know what, Tom? You should do. Um, what am I thinking? What's the brand? Oh, uh, Herbal Essence. You should be in an Herbal <laughs> Essence commercial <laughs> with oh your gosh. orange cat. You, you, you may. <laughs> yeah, the orange cat on my lap. You know, Mark, you made joking reference to Enneagram numbers and I just want to point out that the episode is ending with you guys showering the glorious praises of the Enneagram 3 in the podcast (laughs) (laughs) oh that's spectacular that's awesome dude Tommy thanks for coming on man oh man such a pleasure these are good conversations glad we can have them together dude Ashlyn love you man thanks thanks for all your good thoughts tonight man Tom good to meet you buddy good to meet you this is fun yep